0: We're going to be picking it back up in Revelation. Nice. Revelation uh, chapter 9. Sorry, it's a little hard for me. It's hard for me to like talk through the screen. So I have to like remember that I can just talk normal. But I I always have this weird thing where I feel like I need feedback when I'm talking to somebody and I can't. It's hard for me to get that on the TV. So I'm going to try and just pretend like you're in the room tonight. We'll see if that even works. Uh, but we're going to be revelation chapter nine and we're going to read the second half uh, verses 13 through 21 and the title of the message is four angels bound four angels bound Uh, and to remind us of revelation uh john was on patmos i was you know he was brought up to heaven he was given the vision of god and really the revelation of Jesus Christ is what it is. That revelation reveals Jesus, but it also reveals things that come. And I think today we're going to see it reveals the heart of man and what's really in it. We know it talks about the great tribulation, judgment on the nations and those who follow uh, Satan. Uh, but also that it's a last-ditch effort, I believe, of God to get the world to repent. That anyone who is still f- has that free will choice... Uh, through the book of Revelation hasn't taken the mark of the beast Uh, it's an effort to get them to repent because we know that once they've taken that mark their fate is uh, unfortunate for them uh, sealed Uh, but as bad as this is as bad as God lets it get on earth hell is far worse hell is far worse Um, and again that's I think in some sense that's God's mercy that he's going to let it get bad uh, as bad as uh, it'll ever be but in some sense it's still merciful Previously, the first four seals, the four horsemen. The fifth seal were martyrs slain. Sixth seal were signs in heaven. Uh, Everyone hides, but they don't repent. The seventh seal, that there was silence in heaven. And then the first five trumpets break that silence uh, with hail and fire. A great mountain burning thrown into the sea. A great star falling from heaven, turning the water bitter. A third of the sun, moon, and stars dimmed. We saw last week uh, that there was a star falling from heaven. Remember that uh, the star fallen was an angel, that a key was given to him to open up the pit. And out of that pit came this demonic horde of uh, what John called locusts. But as we began to see their description, it uh, was far scarier than any locust. That they had a king and his name was Destroyer. Uh, but that John says that woe, one woe is past and that there were two more. And we noted last week, you know, really, that the physical world is connected to the spiritual. I think as believers, we know that. Obviously, I don't think the world does know that. We were, I don't know what we were talking about this week, but with psychology and everything, and how the world world tries to understand the mind with a fallen mind. They don't seem to realize that there's a connection to the spirit. That, uh, you know, in the world of psychology, they come up with all these answers or medicines, but they're negating the most important part, that there's a spiritual component there. And I think sometimes we forget that too, uh, that there's a spiritual component to the things we go through uh, in life. 2 Corinthians says in chapter 10, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into the captivity to the obedience of Christ. Remember that when we have thought, sometimes it can be the enemy throwing a fiery dart in there, trying to get us distracted and hurt and confused. And being ready to punish in all disobedience when your obedience is filled. That there's this somehow this innate thing that we when we are being obedient to God, somehow it begins to automatically punish sin around us. That we're not trying to punish others, but others start feeling that cringe or that conviction out of our obedience sometimes they turn on us because of it but Ephesians 6 12-13 says for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against principalities against powers against rulers of the darkness of this age against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand that the things that go on in this world not just in Revelation but in our own time have a spiritual component to them um, again not you know just because something fell over in the middle of the night doesn't mean a demon knocked it over, or, you know, to get hyper spiritual. But in the sense that when we look at the way the world operates, there's spiritual powers behind it. Whether those spiritual powers are actually in the driver's seat and fully possessed a world leader, or if the world leaders are just so given over to their sin that they go along with. But you can see the whole world is, is quickly uh, coming to that end point where they're going to easily. Uh, fall in line and try and create uh, a one world system. We already see that uh, going on now with the sovereignty of nations being removed, borders being lifted, and all these international policies that from a practical standpoint you go, why on earth would anyone ever want this? But you see from the spiritual standpoint it's because uh, things are consolidating. Uh, again, Lord, as, as we get into Revelation again tonight, God, we want to be mindful of who you are and all of it. That, God, you died on the cross for our sin, you died on the cross for the world's sin, and in, in all this you are uh, in control and in charge, and um, you declare the end from the beginning. You know uh, what has happened and what will happen, and you've given us ample warning um, to avoid it. You don't, Like Mia was praying, you don't desire that any man would perish, and yet we're going to see tonight that a lot of people will perish, uh, uh, despite uh, you giving them every way out, God. So help us find those way out in times of sin and help others find the way out as well in Jesus name amen so let's uh, pick up revelation chapter 9 and we're going to read uh 13 14 15 to start it says then the sixth angel sounded and I John heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar which is before God saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet release the four angels who are bound at the great river euphrates so the four angels who had been prepared for the hour and the day and the month and the year were released to kill a third of mankind. We'll stop there. You see that the sixth angel blows his trumpet. Again, let's put our minds in heaven that there's these angels and they have these trumpets and they begin to blow. That I don't know if they use these trumpets at other <laughs> times in heaven, but maybe these were special trumpets for this time. But when they blew it, Things began to happen, as we saw last week. But this time, a voice comes from an altar, from the midst of the altar. And you think in this picture of the tabernacle, right? How the tabernacle was a picture of the heavenly things. Um, that this was an altar of incense. That blood used to be sprinkled on the horns of this altar. And we know that the incense represents the prayers of the saints. That this incense that went up before God, that this altar was meant to be a place of, of prayer and where God would hear the prayers of his people. And out of this comes this command to release these four angels. You know, Revelation 5 eight says, Now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And I bring it up because our prayers have a heavenly physicality to them. That our prayers are not just words we speak on earth to each other, that they're words that get transmitted to heaven. You know, I don't know if everything on earth that's said reaches heaven's ears. I, I think in some sense they do because God has these books where he writes down where everything is recorded. Uh, but our prayers end up in heaven. But they have more than a heavenly consequence, they have an earthly effect. That these prayers end up coming back to the earth in the sense. Uh, that our prayers are important to God, that God loves when you and I pray to him. I love when my kids talk to me. When I get, Jake and I went out yesterday driving in the car, we ran some errands. He just talks the whole time, and it's fantastic because I don't always get to talk to him. There's four of them, so they all love to talk, and they all don't get that one-on-one time. But I love hearing what he has to say, what he's thinking about, and my daughters as well. And Anytime that I have time with them like that. And every time they do, I always feel the sense of God just going, this is what I love to hear from you, that this joy you're experiencing is a bit of my joy as well when my people and my children talk to me. But more than that, not that it's more important than that, but that our prayers are important to all of heaven, that all of heaven is aware of our prayers, that they become part of this incense. It's important to all of creation. Um, And I think more than that, it's, It's part of our priesthood. You know, that it's part of our service to God to offer prayer to Him. That He acts and He wills and He does. And somehow, I don't know exactly how that works, somehow it's in response to our prayer at times. And when we pray, just because we don't see an answer on earth doesn't mean that there's not an answer provided for in heaven. And we see here that the four, uh, something interesting, he said four angels bound for all, I believe for all time, that these angels have been there, that they're there right now. That again, like we talked about the deep pit, if you had the right shovel, you could dig it up and find the chains and release these angels. And they're at the great river Euphrates. And again, like I, I believe that they've been there since, maybe since the time of Adam and Eve were kicked out. Kids, you need to start reacting. Why don't Alicia go over there? Me you go over there, slide over at least, give each other more room so you're not messing with each other, okay? But they've been bound there. Um, you know, I don't believe it's the angel that God talks about in Genesis three, twenty four. He says, So he drove out the man and he placed cherubim at the east of the Garden of Eden, and a flaming sword was turned every way to guard to the way of the tree of life. I don't I don't know that those angels are even still there. The flood had happened in the garden and the tree wiped out. Uh, that might have just been pre-flood, that that angel's job was there. But this these angels are there. But there's this precedent in Scripture, again, that we see, that there's these spiritual things even bound up on earth um, for a purpose and for a time. Um, I know that the land has changed. I know that the flood changed the way that the earth looked. Uh, the, the continents were separated and all these things that, that we can uh, allude to from Scripture. But if we look at the Middle East, I believe it's still the same Middle East. I believe that somehow with the way God worked it all out, when uh, the ark landed and civilization started back up, that it's still the same area geographically on earth. Now you could take that with a grain of salt. um, uh, But the Middle East has been a hotbed of world affairs for all of history. And I don't think that just because the flood happened that all of a sudden, you know, they named another river Euphrates. Yes, they did. But I believe it's the same geographic area. You know, Euphrates, this, these rivers obviously brought life to the wilderness, uh, but it was where ancient Babylon was founded. Uh, you know, we see one of the first world empires there, Nimrod, one of the first Antichrist type figures there. Uh, but even then, the Babylonian system is still in play today. And that's a real another study for a whole other time. But we'll see that in further chapters in Revelation. We see the, the Babylonian system. At least you sit up, honey. It's distracting, sweetheart that the Babylonian system is still working, that it's going to be destroyed in yet future time. That this area was also the border of ancient Roman Empire. And it's interesting if we consider the Roman Catholicism and how the Roman Empire physically died, uh, but apparently still somehow exists within the Catholic system. Uh, Even then with uh, the ring that apparently, you know, that the Pope wears of uh, Dagon is, again, uh, Babylonian system uh, intertwined in there. But again, we're going to see this end-times Europe and end-times world system come to play with the Antichrist, and it's all interwoven with these areas. It's all kind of uh, cruxed on these areas. You know, the, His whole claim to fame is going to be that peace treaty uh, with Israel in that area. Uh, but verse 15 to me, uh, and I think to all of us if we slow down, is very chilling. It says, The four angels who had been prepared... For the hour and the day and the month and the year were released to kill a third of mankind. That they had been prepared for that very moment to kill a third of mankind. That this is the point of these angels being there. That the word preparation, again, I think it's an interesting definition. It says to make ready or to prepare. To make the necessary preparations. You know, uh, it's going to get cold this week. You've got a big windstorm coming in. I was going outside, making sure things were inside and things were some things were done outside that I'd been wanting to do before it gets really cold because I really don't want to do it when it's cold. I don't want to wait until that time. I prepared now and not waiting. Um, and that's kind of some of the connotation of this word. Uh, but it's also drawn from the oriental custom of sending on before kings on their journeys, uh, persons to level the roads and make them passable. Uh, to prepare the minds of men to give the Messiah a fit reception, secures blessings, that these angels going forth are part of God's work of leveling the planet to prepare for his return. That these angels were set aside uh, from the beginning for this very moment in all of history. Uh, that if I believe if they were released any sooner, something would have been wrong there. And I believe that also that God knew from the very beginning where everything would end up. He knew when he locked these angels up, he knew what would happen through the course of history to get to this time. Yet, we know that God still gave the rainbow after the flood. These angels were locked up. He still sent the Messiah. These angels were locked up. He still gave people to repent during the age of the church. And yet, these angels were still locked up. That God gave all these other opportunities and signs and wonders and hope and the church and the spirit and his word And yet he still knew in his omniscience that at the end these angels would still be needed, that man would not repent. And they talk about being patient and long-suffering. But what was this this angel's or these angels' purpose? Their purpose was to kill a third of mankind. Um, I probably should have gone back and done the math from the first eight chapters of, you know, Half was killed, a third was killed, this many was killed, and we could get to a more concrete number here. But this is a third of just who's left. About all the people that have already died and all the other things that have happened, still another third is taken here. And whatever that actual number is, I don't know. Um, one out of three is unthinkable. There's six people in this room right now. That would mean two are gone. There's you know, a couple more here, two more are gone. I looked up the black plague right cuz some reason my mind went there right over uh, a four year period they estimate obviously they don't you know they don't know for sure but they believe 40 to 60% of the population was killed in four years during the black plague that's a big deal but this is 33% and it's not over four years i don't know how long it is it's maybe a matter of hours days weeks a couple months i don't know what the time frame is here but I can't imagine with the whole tribulation being seven years, that this takes very long for these angels to go out and do what they're going to do. You know, the question is, are they good angels set aside? Are they bad angels that were locked up? Uh, to me, it, it just sounds to me like they were fallen and they were locked up. Again, you know, I can't say for sure. Uh, but that they were prevented. They were held back. How much does the Holy Spirit hold back in our day and age? It says that and the Antichrist is going to be revealed when the Holy Spirit Stops restraining, right? And this is another end of God's restraint on the evil that exists in the world, right? Like, that as evil as our time is today, somehow it's still restrained. I think that's hard to fathom that, how wicked Hitler was, how wicked, uh, you know, the former vice president is. God is still how somewhat restraining in this world. It's obviously getting less and less as time goes on. The more we see, the more we read, the more we experience, we go man, God's really kind of left us to our own devices uh, more and more, but yet God is somehow in His grace is restraining. But either way, with these angels, God uses it, like we see in other areas of Revelation, to accomplish His purpose. That when Israel was being disobedient, God would what? Allow their enemies to come and discipline them and chastise them. God would use a wicked nation and allow a wicked king's desire to conquer the earth to bring discipline on His own people. Um, And I'd like, I mentioned it last week, but I'd like to read uh, Joel together. Uh, Joel chapter 2. If you can turn there, otherwise just listen. The first 11 verses. Joel 2 says, Blow the trumpet in Zion, and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming, for it is at hand a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness, like the morning clouds spread over the mountains. A people come, great and strong, the like of whom has never been, nor will there ever be any such after them, even for many successive generations. A fire devours before them, and behind them a flame burns. The land is like the Garden of Eden before them, you know, wonderful, lush, full of life. And behind them, a desolate wilderness. It's burned, it's empty, it's destroyed. Surely nothing shall escape them. Their appearance is like the appearance of horses, and like swift steeds, so they run. With a noise like chariots, over mountaintops they leap, like the noise of a flaming fire that devours the stubble. Like a strong people set in battle array, before them the people writhe in pain. All their faces are drained of color, they run like mighty men. They climb the wall like men of war. Everyone marches in formation, and they do not break ranks. This army is so strong, they're just plowing through everything. They don't even fall out of formation. They do not push one another. Everyone marches in his own column. Though they lunge between the weapons, they are not cut down. They run to and fro in the city. They run on the wall. They climb into the houses. They enter at the in the windows like a thief. The earth quakes before them, the heavens tremble, the sun and the moon grow dark, and the stars diminish their brightness. The Lord gives voice before his army, for his camp is very great. For strong is the one who executes God's word. For the day of the Lord is great and very terrible. Who can endure it? You know, make no mistake that no one will be able to stand in the day of God's wrath. That when God's wrath comes upon the earth, the day of the Lord. Well, it's not going to be joyous at first. That this is God's wrath coming on earth. It's going to be awful. That sin is going to be finally dealt with. That these people who are in rebellion to God are going to see that they have no power before him, despite all the power that they think they have. And I think also that it shows his mercy, that even the fact that anyone even survives for seven years. Right? We know that in the final battle, God comes with his horse, a fiery uh, sword comes out of his mouth. Everyone's cut down. The blood is as high as the bridles. It's quick. It's over. It's It's done. That the final army is destroyed quickly. But that God gives seven years for people to repent. If God wanted this all over, it would just be all over in a nanosecond. But God allows it to drag out for this time for a purpose um, and for a reason. Let's go on to verse 16. It says, Now the number of the army of the horsemen was 200 million, and I heard the number of them. And I thus saw the horses in the vision. Those who sat on them had breastplates of fiery red, Hyacinth blue and sulfur yellow, and the blue and sulfur, uh, I'm sorry, and the heads of the horses were like the heads of lions, and out of their mouths came fire, smoke, and brimstone. And by these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed, by the fire, and the smoke, and the brimstone which came out of their mouths. For their power is in their mouth and in their tails, for their tails are like the serpents, having heads with them they do harm. You know, it says, 200 million horsemen. Um, you know, commentaries talk about it being taken literally or not literally. I would side on the fact that this is literal. John says that he that he heard the number. You know, I, I think if he was just saying, ah, it's a billion people. You know, I don't think he would say he specifically heard the number of them. Right? It, it would have been a little more of a guess for him. But again, you know, I don't I don't know for sure. But I think that this is a real army of two hundred million. And if we look at the at the the Second World War, right? At its height, there were only 70 million soldiers on all sides put together. World War II, 70 million. And that was a world war. Um, you know, it, it talks about China having the potential for 200 million soldiers. Yeah, sure. That, that's definitely possible. Um, you know, I'm not looking forward to a potential war with them uh, as we're being led up to right now. Uh, Russia to getting uppity, China getting uppity. You know, we could see we could see potentially a lot a lot of horrible things on earth take place before this final uh, installment. Uh, and so I think for, for that sense, we should be prepared. You know, just because we've lived in a bubble for the past couple hundred years in America, outside of it, the world is awful. Child soldiers in Africa, slavery, death camps, tyrannical governments around the whole world, and we've had luxury. And that's been a, a blessing of God, and I think we're beginning to see those walls crumble. So to think that we could never experience those things here, I think, is uh, both naive and, and, I think, tragic, because what do we? why would we deserve it to have God's blessing anymore when we've turned from Him? But while this could be a physical army led by the four angels who release, these four angels come out, they gather armies, right, like there's a, a spiritual powers at work, right, in the world, and they lead leaders to do different things, Um you know, the four winds, North, South, East, and West, these angels go all over the earth, right? It covers the whole earth, this army. Um, it could be a description of future technology as well. Uh, but I, I, I would lean again, that these could probably be a demonic army of that number, that there's another large demonic horde that comes out after the last one. They thought it couldn't get any worse. Now it gets worse. Um, but again, I think it also could be, it could be a demonic army of 200 million. With a physical army of 200 million, it could be a mix of both. Uh, It could be a demonic description and also uh, a horrid description of uh, horrific future battles as well. Uh, But again, these descriptions, whatever we're seeing here, is horrific. That these horrid things are going to are exist and are going to be unleashed, and then horrific events are going to unfold after them. That again, the world is not going to get better. Even if it looks like it, even if gas prices go down, inflation goes back, right? We have free and fair elections. The church starts getting along. You know, we feed all the hungry in the world. Well, it's only going to be temporary because this stuff is still yet future. So even if things get better for a little while, it's not going to be better forever. But it blows my mind as I read this. I mean, it does and it does at the same time that Hollywood doesn't take this literally and make a really intense movie with Hollywood's love for horror, Hollywood's love for war movies, Hollywood's love for all things demonic. Why they wouldn't just take this and make this into a movie right now. I think, I think if people, if we and people began to take revelation seriously and read it soberly, I think that's why they won't do it because I think people would repent. I think people would, Begin to, to to have a sober look on on their uh, on what's coming. Because that's one thing that brought me to the Lord was reading Revelation and God going, "You're not ready for this. You are not walking with me. You know the Scripture and you know of me, but you haven't repented." And I think that a good warning like this is is necessary. We well, see these riders that they have blue, red, and yellow breastplates. Um, you know, is this Russia, Chinese? Is there some symbolism there? You know, is it the flag colors of the New World Order? Is there some spiritual significance to these? You probably do a, a deeper study on these colors. I, I have in the past, but I don't, honestly, I don't really remember. Um, you know, is, is it even the US flag with the yellow border? I don't know. Again, I'm trying to put current physical things on a spiritual picture. But in any sense, that these are their colors, that they are part of this united army um, that has power to do this. But it's interesting. it says that there's three plagues, right? Again, this imagery of plagues, uh, that's it's not even like the army is coming out and doing it, but out of the horse's mouth, um, comes fire, smoke, and brimstone. Wherever you see that in scripture, a lot of times it's pictures of hell. It's pictures of judgment. Um, you know, we've got volcanic eruptions, poisonous air, fire and heat coming out of these horses. Um, you know, again, people think to be so excited for an invasion from another species. Oh, if aliens would come and invade, right? Like, I don't think we want an internet, interdimensional army coming on Earth because this is this is what's going to happen when an interdimensional army does come on Earth. You know, the world only knew what it was asking for. It's not only going to get one demonic invasion. It's going to get multiple demonic invasions, as we see in Revelation. That it's not going to be fun. Uh, it's gonna, Independence Day is going to look like... Uh, uh, child's play compared to this, you know. There's uh, Jeff Goldblum is not going to save the day from this horde. But it's interesting again to me uh, that this word harm. It says with their tails they do harm, and this word uh, means to act unjustly, wickedly, to sin, to be a criminal, to have violated laws in some way, to do wrong, to hurt. But it also uh, can be to mean to do some wrong or sin in respect. Uh, To wrong someone, to act wickedly towards them, to hurt or damage, again, kind of a different twist on it, right? Um, But this army is not going to follow the Geneva Convention. This army is not going to go out and do things nicely. This army is going to go out and go over the world. Alicia Mercy, sit down. Okay? Distracting, sweetheart. That there's not going to be any rules of warfare for this demonic horde. They're unleashed, they're free to do what they've wanted to do from the beginning of time that they're going to kill people all over the earth as brutally, as awfully, as painfully, as cruelly, and as evilly as possible. You know, sometimes I think that, you know, I wonder, you know, (laughs) you think you might be able to handle some kind of torture, right? But to think of what someone evil is actually going to do, you read about what the cartels do, you read about what they do to torture people in other countries, and you go, man, like, People are constantly thinking up the worst possible things, and I think that this army is not going to be gentle in the way it takes over. They're going to be barbaric uh, to the fullest sense. But I think that this word is used because it's part of the consequence of a rebellion and rejection of God, and of his only way of salvation, that, you know, this world is awful, that sin is horrendous. And again, I think we forget that. I think we we take out of context how bad sin really is because we live in the age of grace. Because God has been so gracious with us throughout all history that he's provided a way out uh, through the Jewish people and sacrifice leading up to the Messiah. That when the Messiah came and died on the cross and took our sin and became sin and didn't even look like a person when he was destroyed and we've had all this grace and the Holy Spirit on us and the Word of God for 2,000 years. I think we don't really realize how awful sin is and that all these things that are happening are just a result of not being in God's presence, not being in God's will, not being in God's love. And the world plays it up as fun. That sin is fun, that there's going to be a party in hell. We've all heard that before, right? Uh, but that there's this holiness and perfection of God and what he truly provides his life and anything outside it is awful. It's painful. It's horrendous. It's degrading. It's destroying it's horror it's horror think about like the you know i mean don't actually think about it, but like the worst horror movie imaginable is nothing compared to the horror of being separated from god that the world has this fascination with horror but it's really man if we just had any sense in us we'd realize you know i love reading and studying and thinking about revelation but i remember just getting through the study and there's something deeply disturbing about it deeply sobering about going through this area of Scripture. It's not, it's not fun. The, the message is, you get through it, it's not fun. I'm, I, I, you know, I, I like to remember the Lord in, and His purpose and His plan, and it gives hope. But as we read this, maybe that's why people don't like to read it, is because some of this is just super heavy. This is heavy. This, this is not a light message that what's here. And I think God wants us to know that, that what's coming is not light. It's heavy. It's burdensome. It's burdensome. It's destroying. And maybe it's just because we're getting so close, you know, that, I don't know, you know, John, it says in the next chapter in Revelation chapter 10, it says, so I, John, went to the angel and said to him, give me the little book. And he said to me, take and eat it, and it will make your stomach bitter, but it will be as sweet as honey in your mouth. And I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it, and it was as sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach became bitter. And and I don't know, I, I love the thought of Revelation, I love reading it. Love the imagery and getting out to it. But man, as, as you really begin to chew on it and think about it and take it in, there's a bitterness to it. There's a heaviness to it that, man, you just go, ooh, like, there's only so many verses, you know, we can take at a time here if we, if we actually take it and actually chew on it. Let's go on. Two more verses and we'll be done. It says uh, in verse 20, But the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues, did not repent of the works of their hands, that they should not worship demons and idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. It says the rest of mankind that the two-thirds who are still here, that there's, there's still a remnant that's left behind after this, you know, the population already been reduced, but they've seen all these things. They've seen so many things happen on earth, so much destruction, so much famine, so many wars already. They live through the torment of uh, the locusts coming and, and five months of absolute brutal torment without death. And now finally they're able to die. And a third of the people are killed. And these people don't repent. You know, obviously some have taken the mark and probably a minor few haven't. But they're hardened anymore. They double down. You know, I remember Pharaoh, right, with Moses. He keeps changing his mind. He keeps hardening his heart. And the last time God hardens his heart, right? Those watching Noah build the ark, that right up until the day of the flood, they just kept doing what they were doing. They saw Noah doing this weird thing. There was this sign and wonder in front of them. And they didn't repent. I have a feeling if they repented they could have fit on the boat. But even now in the church age, how much the world has rejected the church, we've kicked the church out of our own society even. Man, the people still don't repent. They double down. It says the works of their hands, the things that they built, the things that these people aspired to do, uh, their social structures, their education their business uh the way they their lifestyle the things that they made they kept doing it everything that they were doing was continuously evil but they kept worshiping demons like i think it's clear that in these last days that they're going to be worshiping demons i don't think there's going to be any mistake that what they worship is ungodly because the world's not going to want anything that's godly so what are they going to turn to they're going to turn to demonic things. And we see that even in our day and age, the stuff that people turn to is demonic. People turn to uh, witchcraft and sorcery and, you know, even just the things that they, uh, even just in classical, so to speak, religions. If you look at the idols that they worship, a lot of them are demonic looking and it's, it's no joke about it. You know, that uh, we should we really shouldn't be fooled. These idols themselves, right, are just a hunk of wood like Isaiah talks about, right? That he cuts down a tree and half of the tree he uses to cook his meal on a firewood and keep himself warm. And the other half he carves into an idol. That, that the idol itself may or may not be demonic and it may not be possessed. But maybe it's just influence, a person being influenced by the demonic realm, excuse me. But a lot of times people are worshipping demons, and if you look at the things that come out of Hollywood, that come out of the, the mouths of these people these days, that come out of the mouths of some of our politicians about what should be exalted, it's nothing less than demonic. What comes out of the curriculum that they want to be taught in schools? Nothing less than demonic. And people work, they think that this is the path to enlightenment, that this is the path to righteousness in their eyes, and it's full-blown demonic. I mean, the blurring of all these lines, we won't get into it for some of the audience, but really like if you look at what things are demonic, that's exactly it. They did not repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual unreality or their thefts. You know, a uh, St. Louis university student confronts uh, a pro-life group on campus this week. There's a link uh, in the, in the notes that you can download later. But she says, she says to them and it's on camera. I don't know if she knows she's being recorded at the time, but she says, you can see all my pictures, I'm assuming, like, on her social media, right? See how pretty I am, how how good of a life I have. She says, I will enjoy my life, and I will keep killing expletive babies. It's like not even, not even a joke anymore. It's not even a let's dance around and just call it abortion or call it a woman's right. The younger generation who is totally sold out to the world admits that it's killing babies and has no problem saying that this is what they want. An SNL skit, I didn't watch it for a good reason, recently, again, deals with abortion. And apparently it was based on the actresss I use that term loosely, her story. And how she happily did it to keep her career going. It's not even swept under the rug, it's not even hidden, it's not even something to be ashamed about anymore. It's something to preach from the housetops and how wonderful it is to kill your baby, to have what you want in life. That's demonic worship. That is Moloch. Take my baby Moloch, fry them on your hands, that I might have all the world's wealth and get everything that I want in life. That is worshipping a demon. And we think that we are in an enlightened age. The word sorceries uh, is pharmakia, and we'll see this in other parts of the New Testament. But it's the use of or administering of drugs. It's poisoning. You know, people take so-called magic mushrooms, Right? to have a, a wild experience it's literally poison. Sorcery, magical arts often found a connection with idolatry and fostered by we look throughout the ancient world in Ephesus where they would go into these caves and you know do drugs and worship and have these visions right? but it's also the deceptions and seductions of idolatry and you know is it any wonder that in our time when all sorts of drugs are being legalized when Christianity is being kicked out, when you can worship anything you want in this world, that not only people are uh, growing more dark and more evil in connection with it. it, it's an open door. I'm sure if any of us have had experience with them, we can easily say that it opened us up to things that we would never been opened up to before. And I don't necessarily mean demonic worship. It's outright. But man, you got involved in drugs. You got drunk on alcohol. You got involved with people you never would have been friends with before, you began to do things you never thought you would have done. It's all related. There's a reason why God tells us to stay away from these things because it's a pathway to evil. You know, when we see the world say, this is good to do, and we say the world say that the good things are evil, it's not separate. It's not two separate camps. It's not the pro-drug camp and the pro-choice camp and whatever, socialism camp, it's all related. It's all a part of uh, wickedness. Because make no mistake that these things are spiritually connected. And the worst part is, again, I think fulfilling scripture, that even the so-called church and Christians are caught up in it. How many Christians today think that certain drug use is acceptable? Because it's legal? But it's only going to grow worse and more apparent the more the world falls apart. You know, again, many billions have died up to this point. Many millions more and billions more with every wave of revelation. And yet they still will not repent. You know, how many times we share with people and pray for people in our day and age and they don't repent. It's going to be far worse then. And I think uh, God is making it clear That what is happening to those left on earth and what will continue to happen to them as we continue through Revelation is not only just and right and holy, but it is absolutely 100% necessary. That these things have to happen to deal with the sin on the earth and the sin in man because man will not repent. And I believe in some sense in Revelation God is revealing the heart of man and what is really in the heart of man. And it is this sin, this evil that will not repent that those who don't repent, don't repent because they don't want to repent. They have no excuse at this point. They can't say that they didn't see that they didn't hear that. They weren't preached to that. There's no evidence in the world around them. They willfully and purposely harden themselves against God and choose the wicked over the good. God reveals what they're really about through these fires of judgment, that that the hotter the fire gets on earth, the more clear their wickedness is. That what they receive is due and just, and again, it's absolutely holy and necessary. And as hard as it is to, to wrap our heads around that, that's why God doesn't want us to be around for it. That's why God doesn't want us to be a part of it. That's why God wants us to repent now while there's still time to repent, while it is still day to not harden our hearts and be deceived by the deceitfulness of sin. That, that man, that, you know, I don't know how anyone, you know, there's still going to be Bibles around. I guarantee someone's going to pick up a Bible in this day and age and read this and go, oh, yeah, that's what's happening now. But in the same way Satan goes, Satan knows the end. Satan knows every word of the scripture and he still thinks he wins at the end, he still thinks he's going to get away with it. And even if he's smart enough to realize that he's not, he's still gonna go the same path. And that's what these people are. They're even if they think they're not gonna get away with it, they don't care. They would rather go to hell and do things their own way than repent and let God have his way in their life. And and Lord is um God, we come to you with this. God, these things are hard to hear. They're hard to study at times, they're hard to talk about. Uh we'd like to push him out of our minds. And out of our daily lives at times, because I think it's sometimes it's, it's too sobering. Guys, if we come to grips with this, we realize that, man, like our lives need to change. We need to live a life that's dedicated more to you and be telling more people about you and putting aside our desire for jobs or money or relationships or fun. And not that you don't give us those things or those things don't have their place in our life. But I think sometimes, Lord, you kind of want to give us that desire like John and Patmos, to be, totally caught up in it or John the Baptist who forsakes everything in the world and wears camel skin to say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is here. And God help us make your way straight. Now that God, that more people would be saved. Like was prayed by the kids tonight, that God, people would come to faith in you in these last days before it's too late before, uh, there's a mandate to take a mark and there's no Supreme court to stop it. Um, And God, more than that, God, we thank you that you're the righteous judge, that you are the real court in all the land, in all the universe, and we pray that you would, um, God, find us worthy from what your son did, not from what we've done, and to be able to share that with others, that, God, you want to count them worthy by the blood of the Lamb who was slain. So, God, thank you for being slain for us. Help us to pass that on to others that you do not want them to die. You do not want them to face hell for the sins that they've committed, but instead of taking it for them. And God, help us be sober and be vigilant in these last days, we pray. And most of all, God, come soon. We can't wait to go home to be with you. In Jesus' name, amen. There is a vineyard of the Lord. There is a vineyard for our soul. With all our troubles left behind the door, we drink first light until the door.